getting a bit old because um, I'm not used to having the Bible read from the phone. <laughs> okay, let's go to God in prayer. Dear loving Heavenly Father, as we come before you today, uh, we truly want to ask for your help because we know that we are merely uh, weak creatures before you and uh, we are so prone to our own fleshly desires and ignoring you, but uh, your word instructs us of how we should live before you. And we pray once again that your Holy Spirit will guide us to understand your word and to live rightly before you. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, all those people at the back, do you want to sit at the front? You're far, far away and right at the back and I can't see you. Okay, now I want to ask you two questions today. Uh, and I want you to just think about it a moment. The first question is, what do you think of God? Uh, what picture comes into your mind when you think of God? Um, what impressions do you have of God okay, in your relationship? Just think of it. What, what do you think of God? How do you see Him? The second question I want to ask is related to the first, is how have you treated God this week? Okay, how have you treated God this week? And how have you treated the things of God, like uh, reading His Word, or praying, or coming to church, or Bible study to be encouraged and encouraging His people? Because I think that those two questions are sort of tied together. Uh, how we see God, and how we treat God. Now, I'm not sure about you, um, again, uh, you know, I use all these old illustrations, maybe I need to get out a bit more. But uh, I remember watching this movie a long time ago called The Talented Mr. Ripley. Have you heard of it before? I think it was an Academy Award or something. Or it's called The Talented Mr. Ripley. If you ever, if you ever heard of it, you can uh, watch it one day. And it's about this guy, Matt Damon. And uh, he's, a, he's just a poor piano teacher. Uh, not a teacher, he's a pu- uh, not even a piano teacher, he's a piano tuner. He tunes pianos, okay? And uh, he is mistaken for someone who has graduated from Princeton University. And uh, as the story goes along, he is sent by a rich man to go to Italy to get the rich man's son, who is uh, you know, enjoying life in Italy, to come back to the States in America. But this uh, piano tuner uh, enjoys the lifestyle so much of this spending time with this rich young man that he kills the, the rich man's son and assumes his identity. And that's the whole premise of the movie. How far would you go to, be, to pretend to be someone else? Because when you are someone else, when you are a rich man's son, people treat you very differently from when you are just a poor piano tuner. And that's what uh, this story is all about. How do people treat uh, this uh, poor piano teacher, uh, piano tuner? And I think that it's related to how we look at God, isn't it? How do we see God? Because if you see God in a certain way, then you would treat God in a certain way. And I think that's what this passage is all about. That's the heart of today's passage. How do we see God and how do we treat God? Now last week, we looked at Malachi chapter 1, verse 1 to verse 5. And the central theme of uh, verse 1 to verse 5 was all about God's love. God's love. And uh, we saw that God's love was a magnificent thing. That God loved us not because we were good or bad. He loved us before we were even born. And therefore, every day we should give thanks that God loves us and has shown us His grace. But today, the theme ch- changes from God's love to the idea of honor. Right? The idea of honor. That's why in verse 6, he starts off, God starts off by saying, A son honors his father and a servant his master. If I'm a father, where is the honor due me? And if I'm a master, where is the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty. So the whole theme here is all about um, 
honor. He doesn't say, if I'm a father, where is the love due me? If I'm a master, where is the love due me? He says, no, where is the honor due me? In fact, uh, if you look at uh, some of your translations, for some of you who are looking at the ESV translation, you see that it says there, where is the fear due me? Where is the respect and fear due me? And I think that that's what it's all about, isn't it? So I remember watching uh, the World Cup Rugby not too long ago. And if you ever watch the World Cup Rugby, the people there are huge, right? They're not really human. They're just super big human, right? And they're like, you know, they'll be facing off and there'll be 100 and something kg, 6 foot something. And they'll be, uh, you know, having this huge scrum, right? 10 of, you know, I don't know how many each scrum, but they're all facing off. And then you see this small referee about my size, 60 kg, telling them, okay, back off guys, back off, stand there, here, there. And they all listen to him. And why do they listen to him? Because of who he is. He is the referee. So they treat him with respect and honor and even fear because he can show them the red card. And who is God? See, look at the passage. Who is God? God is the Lord Almighty. See that word there in verse 6, 6b? Right? He is the Lord Almighty. And in fact, this phrase, this word, the name of God, is, is very important. In the book of Malachi, the word the Lord Almighty is used 24 times. Whereas in the whole of the New Testament, uh, the name, the Lord Almighty, is only used 12. So why does God keep using His name this way, the Lord Almighty? Because His presence, His, His, His character is one of awesome power and incomparability. And therefore, He demands respect, honor, and fear. And that's why it says there... <coughs> In verse 6, it is you, O priest, who have shown contempt to my name. They haven't shown respect to the name of God, the Lord Almighty. Now, therefore, uh, it seems here that if you look at this passage, uh, the priests in particular have this problem, right? It says, you, O priests. Uh, he's not speaking to the nation as such, but he's speaking in particular to the priests. And in the first step of dealing with any problem, uh, you need to acknowledge the problem. You know, you look at the newspaper, if you've got a gambling problem, the first thing, the first step to any solution or recovery is to acknowledge that you have a gambling problem. But the priests, they do not recognize that they have a problem because they say to, 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 to God, I mean, not that they really say it, like, but they, in their hearts, they do not acknowledge this problem. They say in verse 6c, but you ask, how? How have we shown contempt for your name? And... Uh, <coughs> That's where God then goes on and gives them an example of how they are showing disrespect and contempt and dishonor for God's name. Now, a bit of background is required here because he, he deals with the sacrificial system. The sacrificial system. And uh, in the sacrificial system, uh, God had uh, placed the priest in a very important position. Okay, so it's up here on the slide. Okay, look up here on the slide. This is uh, what the Old Testament uh, temple system and the priestly system was set up for God for. And you see that uh, the God's people are here and they were meant to bring uh, animals to, 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 to sacrifice to God. But in order to do that, they couldn't sacrifice it themselves, right? It's not like, you know, they brought their goats and their sheep and they killed it themselves and burned it. No, they had, to bring, they had to go to the temple. And then when they went to the temple, the priests would then accept the animals and sacrifice on behalf of the people, uh, to God, to the Lord Almighty. Now, God had made very clear in uh, other parts of the Bible exactly what constituted, what represented acceptable sacrifice uh, to Him. 
Okay, so Leviticus chapter 22, up here on the slide. Okay, I hope you can see that. I made it a bit smaller because I had to fit it all in. But uh, if you can't see it, I hope you have a Bible. You can read it up. Uh, Leviticus chapter 22. The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron and his sons to treat with respect the sacred offerings the Israelites consecrate to me so that they will not profane my holy name. Sounds familiar, right? Giving respect to God's name. I am the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to Aaron and his sons and to all the Israelites and say to them, If any of you, either an Israelite or an alien living in Israel, presents a gift or uh, for a burnt offering for the Lord, either to fulfill a vow or as a free will offering, he must present a male without defect for the cattle and sheep and goats in order that it may be accepted on your behalf. Do not bring anything with a defect because it will not be accepted on your behalf. When anyone brings from the herd or flock a fellowship offering to the Lord to fulfill a special vow or as a free will offering, it must be without defect or blemish to be acceptable. Do not offer to the Lord the blind, the injured, the maimed, or anything with warts, or festering, or running sores. Do not place any of these on the altar as an offering made to the Lord by fire. You may, however, present as a free will offering an ox or a sheep that is deformed or stunted, but it will not be accepted in fulfillment of a vow. You must not offer to the Lord an animal whose testicles are bruised, crushed, torn, or cut. You must not do this in your land. You must not accept such animals from the hands of a foreigner and offer them as the food of your God. They will not be accepted on your behalf because they are deformed and have defects. Verse 31 Keep my commands and follow them. I am the Lord. Do not profane my holy name. I must be acknowledged as holy by the Israelites. I am the Lord who makes you holy and who brought you out of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord. So you see here that uh, God will not accept uh, these uh, animals which are not perfect. And basically, he's just saying, saying, give me perfect animals, no warts, no sores, not broken, can't see, uh, you know, testicles crushed. He, because by doing so, you're profaning God's name. You're, you're looking down on God's name. But in Malachi's time, what was happening? Well, as we read the passage, that's exactly what God's people were doing. They were presenting God with it, and you know, three-legged animals, blind animals, animals which were dying. And uh, why were they doing this? Well, if you were Israelite, then you might sort of think, well, you know, I have a brand new, really healthy animal here, and this animal is worth a lot of money. You know, why should I give that to the God? Why not rather I give God this animal, which you know is uh, limping, blind, injured? Uh, same thing, right? Would God really know the difference? And they probably thought that this behavior was very clever, uh, very saving money, right? Cost-cutting measure. But what does God call it? Well, God, in verse 14, calls it cheating. Look at what it says there, in verse 14, what God considers uh, when you bring an injured or maimed or blind animal when you can bring a healthy one. Verse 14. Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it and then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord for I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty and my name is to be feared among the nations. 
You see, God calls it cheating. And that's what it is, isn't it? Because you have something which is perfect, which you can give to God, but you give Him something which is broken. You don't show Him respect, honor or fear. But the worst thing is, in chapter 1, the priests are the ones who are part of this conspiracy. Because as we saw in the book of Leviticus, the priest accepts the animal on God's behalf to sacrifice to God. And you can just imagine, right, the priest is there at the temple, accepting all the sacrifices, all the animals are coming out, and here comes a sheep on crutches. And they say, oh, it doesn't matter, we'll take it. And there's a sheep which is blind, oh, it doesn't matter. And there's another animal, and it's, it's going to die, so let's hurry up and sacrifice it before it dies. Right, and why? Why were the priests doing this? Why were the priests a conspiracy to this? Well, because they had the wrong attitude of God. They would not honor or respect or fear God. But instead, in verse 12, what is the attitude of the priest? <clears throat> well, look at what it says there in verse 12. It says there, but you profane it. You profane the sacrificial system by saying of the Lord's table, the, the altar table, where they sacrifice the animals. It is defiled. And of the food, it is contemptible. And you say, what a burden. What a burden. And you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. Now, that's really sad, isn't it? Uh, because here, they are just sort of going through the motions. They're like sort of sacrificing, they're looking at their watches. What time is lunch? Huh? Can we hurry up and get there? Right? Let's get this over with. Right? It's like, they're not really doing it as part of a respect or honouring or fearing God. And God says, do you really think that this sort of sacrifice is acceptable to me? In verse 8, he says, look, why don't you try sacrificing this sort of animal? Try offering them to your governor. Uh, in verse 8, it says, would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? Now, a bit of history is required again. Now, uh, the next slide. Now, during this time, as we saw last week, uh, God was speaking to God's people and they had been brought back from Babylon all the way to uh, Judah in Jerusalem. So, they were exiled. So, at this time, the governor was not the Jewish governor, but the Persian governor or some local official who was appointed uh, on behalf of the Persians. So, God is saying, okay, you go and, go and offer this sort of uh, lousy animal to uh, the Persian governor. What will he do? At the very least, he would put you in prison. Or maybe he would, I don't know, kill you as an insult. Can you imagine you go and present to the governor this sort of uh, lame animal? Would he be happy? Then the answer is no. And in verse 9, he says, look, if you present, now implore God, that means beg God to be gracious with us. With such offerings in His hand, from your hands, will He accept you, says the Lord Almighty. Can you imagine you go to God and you say, God, please, please bless me. Will God listen to you? Of course He won't. Because if the governor, who is the human authority, will not accept these sort of lame offerings, then how much more the Lord Almighty. The Lord Almighty. And God goes on to say in verse 10, Oh, that one of you would have the guts to go and shut the temple door so that you will not light such useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you. He says, look, would you please just close the gates of the temple so that you will not insult me 
anymore. And in verse 11 he says, because in, in the future, people everywhere will worship me. And they will worship me with honour and respect, with pure offerings, it says. He says there, in verse 11, my name will be great among the nations, from the rising to the setting of the sun. And every, every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name, because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. Now, it says there, the, the rising of the setting of the sun, it doesn't mean like from morning to night, it means that from one end of the earth to the other, in every place, people will come to God, the Lord Almighty, with pure offerings, with respect, honour and fear. And I think uh, Malachi is actually looking forward to the future when Jesus comes. Because when Jesus comes, uh, he begins, uh, next slide, this process, right? Jesus says when he comes back to life after the cross, that he came to the disciples and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So it begins with the coming of Jesus, but it's fulfilled finally when Jesus comes again and brings the kingdom of God. Because in Revelation, which we read and we studied a few months ago, Revelation chapter 7, and after this I looked, the Apostle John, right? And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. And they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and the Lamb. And what God is saying is, if in the last day for eternity, every nation and every people will worship God in honesty and fear and respect, then how would He accept this sort of second-rate uh, cutthroat sacrifice, he will not accept it. Now, as we read this passage, you might sort of ask yourself, what has it got to do with us? We no longer bring sacrifices to uh, the church. I don't see anybody bringing any sheep, lambs or pigeons this morning, right? And I don't have my, my knife or anything. So why are we studying this? Well, I think there are two applications for us. The first application is, the good thing is we don't depend on priests anymore. I'm not a priest. You don't depend on me. I remember here, uh, God is rebuking the priests. And I think he was saying that the priesthood of, Levit- of Levi was inadequate. And the sacrificial system was inadequate. He's looking forward to the future. And we know that at the cross, Jesus becomes our great high priest for eternity. And Jesus becomes our one perfect sacrifice forever and ever. So look at Hebrews chapter 7. Look at Hebrews chapter 7. Those of you at the back, right? I can still see you. Hebrews chapter 7, right? If perfection, okay, next slide, yep. Hebrews chapter 7, if perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it the law was given to the people, why was there still need for another priest to come? One in the order of Melchizedek, and not in the order of Aaron. Now there have been many of these, those priests, like those priests in Malachi we're reading about, since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest meets our needs. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. 
Unlike the other high priest, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priest men who are weak, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son who has been made perfect forever. So I think we should rejoice because we don't depend on, on frail human priests who go about their business with uh, the wrong attitude and people who sacrifice the wrong sacrifices. But here, God himself provides the, the final solution. He provides his son as the perfect high priest. And the son himself gives his body as the perfect sacrifice. So if you look at the slide before, uh, turn back, sorry, the one before. Right? You see that uh, God does away with the sheep and the, the Levitical priesthood. The next slide. But God instead gives Jesus on the cross as the perfect sacrifice. And Jesus is now in heaven as our perfect and eternal high priest. So we should always look to Jesus and not to a human priest. So that's the first application. But the second application has to do with God and our relationship with God. In the book of Malachi, God is called the Lord Almighty how many times? 24, right? See, I've seen whether you're paying attention. 24 times, right? Is God still called the Lord Almighty today? Yes, right? God is still called Lord Almighty. His name has not changed. His character has not changed. He is still the same. So how should we as His people treat Lord Almighty with the same honour, respect and fear that is due Him, isn't it? The question is, do we treat God with honour, respect and fear? Now, we no longer bring sacrifices to God today in the same way that we bring, you know, they brought animals then. But in the book of Romans, it says that we offer our bodies as living sacrifices. Uh, Romans chapter 12, which is up here, says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing and perfect will. Now, what sort of sacrifice is God looking for in your life? He is looking for your very best. He is looking for your perfect sacrifice. Now, I want to give you an example, which I heard this uh, pastor give. This, I thought it was so funny, right? Imagine you're the boss. Okay, you imagine you're the boss, and your employee asks you over for dinner. Or imagine if uh, you are a father or mother, and your children invite you over for dinner. And you go over for dinner, and, uh, and you sit down for dinner, and your children or your employee serves you leftover vegetables from yesterday. And uh, your employee or your boss, uh, sorry, uh, your, your, your children serve you a bit of the rice that they have left over from the day before. Or maybe you know, a small serving of chicken, but then all the best pieces are all taken, right? The wing and the drumstick, they just give you all the lousy parts. Now that's not bad enough. They then don't sit with you, but they sit at the other table and, and they have on the other table the best Wagyu beef and abalone and uh, 
I don't know what else, champagne and wine. Now, how would you feel as uh, the boss? Uh, maybe your employee won't be there next week, but how do you feel as the boss, right? And, and how do you feel as, 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 a, as a parent? But, but isn't that what God is saying here? Do we, do we do the same for God where we give God the worst, but we give ourselves the best? So one pastor was saying, and I thought, you know, do we get more worked up about our sporting team than we do about fellowship in church? Or do we get more excited about our holidays than spreading the gospel? Or do we feel more excited about reading the latest Harry Potter novel, no, no, no more anymore, but than, than, than reading the Bible? Or put more effort into our career than into our holiness? Or have more uh, effort into our hobbies uh, than prayer? And you know, think of it, right? Would you, would you be uh, late for a meeting with your boss? But we have no problem being late uh, for church, right? Um, you know, how do we see God? Do we see God as if he's like a beggar and he's very happy with the little scraps uh, that we give God? But he's not the beggar, right? He is the Lord Almighty. Uh, even to give him second best would be insulting to him. Now, God then goes on in chapter 2 to give another example of how the priests have failed to give him honour and respect and fear. So, uh, the priests in the Old Testament had uh, two duties. Uh, One duty was to sacrifice. They they sacrificed the animals on behalf of the people. But the other duty was to teach the people, teach the law to the people, teach people uh, God's word. So, look at what it says there in verse 5. Uh, to verse 9 of chapter 2. God says, My covenant was with him, Levi, a covenant of life and peace, and I gave them to him. This called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many from sin. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge and from his mouth men should seek instruction because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty. But you have turned away, sorry, you have turned from the way and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. So, I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people because you have not followed my ways but have shown partiality in matters of the law. Now, if you actually look at this passage, um, uh, I've broken it up for you to help you understand a bit. But uh, God uses Levi as an example uh, of the right way of living and teaching. But then he compares them to what the people of Malachi are doing today. Now, Levi is not the genes, right? Okay? Levi is uh, the, uh, the, the, the first priest. Okay? God made a covenant with the first priest, Levi. And this was the way they were meant to, to live and to teach and to, 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 to do right? the results of their life. So, if you have, see up here, right? in attitude, in teaching, and living, and results, a God had set a standard for Levi and his descendants. So, in attitude... He was to, re- to have reverence. He was to revere and stand in awe of God's name. But what were the people of Malachi doing? 
It says there in chapter one, chapter uh, of uh, sorry, chapter two, verse one. Twice it says they did not honor, they did not set my heart on honoring me. In terms of teaching, there were, true instruction was in his mouth, and nothing false was found in his lips. For the lips of the priests ought to preserve knowledge, and from his mouth men should seek instruction, because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty. But in terms of the people of Levi, the priests of Levi, they were showing partiality in matters of the law. In terms of living, Levi walked with me in peace and uprightness. But the priests of Malachi, they turned from my ways, says that they have not followed my ways. And in terms of results, uh, Levi turned many people away from sin, but the priests of Malachi, they stumbled people. Now I think that this has got so much uh, to teach us, isn't it? Because in God's eyes, if you fail to teach properly, then what does God say? God says something really offensive, isn't it? In verse 3 and 4, I think it's the rudest, the rudest uh, part of the Bible you could think of. Because it says that in verse 3, Because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. I will spread on your faces from the awful, the awful from the festival sacrifices, and you'll be carried off with it. Now, I know that uh, for some of you, your translations, I don't know, might say dung or feces. And that's what it really is. Because, see, again, think of it this way, okay? Uh, the pre-sacrificed animals. So, when the animals come, imagine some sheep, goat, right? I, know, I don't have any, so I can't show you. But you can picture in your mind, right? So, when they sacrifice it, they, they take all the guts out. Because they don't burn the guts, right? They take all the intestines, all the stomach contents, all the gunk inside, right? The feces. They put it on one side and then they burn the good stuff. <coughs> so, by the end of the day, imagine you have this thinking pile of intestines and food and dung everything in this corner. And God says, if you don't honor me and respect me and fear me in the way that you teach and lead my people, I will smear all this stuff on your face right? and you'll be thrown away, away with it. That's what God is saying. I mean, what an offensive picture that is. I can't think of anything worse, right? And that means that we should pay great attention because even though today there are no priests, um, <clears throat> but yet God's word still must be taught. Right? And, and, and that's... That's the central function in, that we come to church. And we, we are learning God's word as we're praying and fellowshipping with other. But in those four areas, attitude, living and teaching and turning people from sin, I think we have to learn as a church how church should be like and how we, we should run church. Well, the first thing is attitude, right? Now, the attitude that they were supposed to have was what? That they were meant to reverence and revere and stand in awe of God's name. The whole point of teaching and leading church is to... Honor God. But these people did not honor God. And I think that uh, that's something that we must always remember. Everything we do in church, in terms of our teaching and leading, must be for the reverence and honoring and glorifying of God. Now, I remember listening to John Stott on a sermon on this. And he says that there's a problem today. And I think I agree with his observation because he says that in today's context, in terms of climate, many people, many People lead the church and teach in church, but not for the honor and respect and reverence of God. 
but for the glory of themselves. For the glory of their own church. But that should not be, isn't it? Because it says there that the teaching and leading is, is for the motivation of honouring and reverencing and uh, showing respect to God. God is at the centre of all the glory that we, that, that we give God in terms of our teaching. And that's why it says there very clearly in verse 1, right, that the priests will be cursed. That blessings will be cursed. Now, again, we're not sure what it means to curse as blessings, but I would hate to be cursed by God. If we lead and we teach in church for our own glory, right, whether it's children's church or you forever, or for the glory of something else other than honouring God, then God will curse you. The second thing is about living. right? And I think that uh, this passage is as much a rebuke for me and for anybody who is teaching uh, and uh, leading in church. It says here that uh, uh, Levi walked in peace and uprightness of God. Peace means that he, he, he lived in harmony of God's will. God was not angry with him. He was at peace with God. He was upright. He had moral integrity. He did what was righteous. But the people of Malachi's day, says there, uh, they did not follow his way. They did not follow my ways. And I think that's so important for us that leaders in church must be held to the highest standard of conduct. They must be at peace with God and upright. You know, you read the newspaper about all those pedophile and sexual abuse scandals in the Catholic Church. And you sort of wonder, how can these people be leaders? Uh, you read of churches and denominations where people appoint homosexuals to be pastors. And you think, are these people following the way of God? Or even in Singapore, I, I hear of ministers who are involved in very questionable behavior, who are excused because they are very successful or good preachers or somehow, uh, you know, they, 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 they are People say that they're anointed by God or something. Now, it doesn't mean that uh, leaders are sinless. But, uh, like it says there in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 15, right? this is what Paul instructs his student, Timothy. He said, Be diligent in these matters. Give yourselves wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them so that if you do, uh, you will save both yourselves and your hearers. Now, if I sin, if a Christian leader sins grievously, sexual immorality, in some form of adultery, or I steal money from the church, or I beat someone up, then you can never be a, a leader. But I think what's worse is that these people in Malachi's time, they're not showing progress. Because in verse 1, they're not listening to God. They are unrepentant and unregenerate in their living. You know, there's a difference between people who sin and recognize that they sin and try to change and then people who sin and, and just deliberately keep on sinning. Uh, there was this preacher, Phil New Newton, and he uh, said he was embarrassed uh, in, in the company of some pastors because of their coarse language. And, and I know of uh, Christian leaders, some of them who have terrible tempers but never repent of it. They, uh, they cut corners, they tell lies, they slander. But they are unrepentant and they keep doing it over and over again. But here are these people and they are not listening, isn't it? It's just that they do not listen. Like uh, this guy Rico Tai said, it is very rare for the spirituality of a group of Christians to exceed the leader. 
as the leader of the church or as a leader of your group or whatever, you, you, you must be a leader in terms of your living. So he gave the illustration. He said, okay, imagine the children's church, which is happening now, right? Uh, the leaders come. They come in the morning, but they are not very serious. They come late. They're not prepared. They don't teach the Bible. And they don't live properly. Do you expect the children to teach the, take the Bible seriously and live well and take Sunday school seriously? No. And that's why it says there, on the next slide, it says there that as a result, they have caused many to stumble, right? Uh, it's not just the teaching, but also the living. The living also causes people to stumble. You know, we mustn't be like, uh, I was reading the, on the internet recently about this very famous marriage counsellor in America and she has been uh, counselling for many years and I just read that she, after 15 years of marriage, uh, she just got divorced. So they're asking her whether uh, she's going to continue doing marriage counselling. She said yes. Uh, but then in her book or something, she wrote this autobiography. Um, she said that in her marriage, in her 15 years of marriage, she only had sex with her husband three times. I don't know how she can do marriage counselling, right? I mean, obviously something not right in her marriage as well. And I was reading somewhere else that, you know, the, the, the author of the book, Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus? Apparently, that guy's divorced too. So, how can you get marriage advice from people who can't even manage their own marriages? Well, same thing here, isn't it? God is saying to these priests that they are not serious. Uh, about honouring him because they are not serious about living properly before him. John Owen said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Right? And you must cultivate your devotional life and deal with sin on a regular basis. The third thing is teaching. And uh, I would like to really uh, pay, make you pay attention to this because it says that what is the heart of teaching? The heart of teaching is to, be a, to have true instruction and to preserve knowledge. Uh, I like what it says here. It says that you are a messenger of the Lord. And like one, uh, like one uh, preacher said, you know what a pastor is? He's just a messenger boy. That's all we are. That's what your Bible study leader is. That's what everybody who teaches the Bible is. They're just messenger boys. We do not come up with new information, invent new things. We just pass on the message that's already there. So I remember um, this uh, prayer of Jabez came out uh, quite a while ago. And I remember when I, the prayer of Jabez came out, I was reading it, you know, about how you're supposed to pray the prayer of Jabez for 40 days in a row, and then God will give you a secret breakthrough to a blessed life. And I was thinking, is that God's uh, preserved knowledge, or is this a new invention? In the last 2,000 years since the coming of the Lord Jesus, has any church taught the prayer of Jabez in this way? Uh, does Jesus teach us to pray in this way. No, I remember reading that Jesus taught me how to pray the Lord's Prayer. Uh, what does Jesus say about being blessed? He didn't tell me to pray the prayer of Jabez. He told me to live, live out life in the Sermon on the Mount. See, but the problem is nowadays, when you go to the bookshop, there's so many ideas and people are not preserving knowledge. They're not being messaged to people. They're coming out with new ideas. And that's why as Christian leaders, we must always seek for people the highest standard in terms of understanding God's word. We shouldn't appoint people who are just good in business, have a cheerful personality, or, or maybe the only people who are willing to do it, right? But we must have people who are responsible for preserving and guarding the knowledge of God. So I remember a pastor of another church, a Presbyterian church, shared with me of how they were starting a Bible study program. <clears throat> and he's asking the elders in the church to get involved 
And the elders are saying, oh no, we've already got enough knowledge. Let the young people get involved. But that's not true, isn't it? Because the leaders must be the students of God's word. They must have their heart, the desire to always understand God's word. In fact, John Piper said that the doctrinal defection of thousands of pastors from the authority and sufficiency of scripture was more devastating than moral failure. Now what was wrong with uh, the, the priests of those days? Instead of preserving the knowledge of God, what were they doing? They were, what is it? I can't see on the side. They were showing partiality, right? They were showing partiality in matters of the law. Partiality means I only give you part of the news. And in fact, when I was in theological college, uh, that's what they said. You know, all heresy is not outright lies, but it is what you neglect and not just what you affirm. So when people say, well, I believe in the grace of God, but I don't even believe in judgment. When I believe in the Old Testament, but not the, the, sorry, the New Testament, but not the Old Testament, that is partiality, only giving part of the knowledge. And why were they being partial? Well, the commentators say that maybe it's because of material gain. They were people pleasers. It was the same attitude to why they were accepting the bad sacrifices. Why is it when you know, Mr. Tan brings his uh, three-legged lamb, why didn't he say no? Because they wanted to please Mr. Tan. And, and that's the problem, you see. When you teach, you must be willing to only honour God. You mustn't be scared of offending people. So I heard this funny uh, thing in a sermon. Apparently in England, they did a survey in the Church of England of the perfect pastor, what the congregation members want of the perfect pastor. And apparently, the perfect pastor in England must not preach for more than 15 minutes. Okay, so I've already, I'm not a perfect pastor. Okay? And the perfect pastor in England must correct sin, but at the same time must not offend people. And I think the pastor who preached this, uh, I mean, when I heard, he says, right, how can you correct sin, but not offend people? Because sometimes when you correct sin, you will offend people. But the priests in this, those days, they didn't want to offend people. And I think that today in churches, uh, we don't want to offend people too. The worst thing is to offend people because you know why? They will take their money and the worst thing is they might leave the church. But the problem is if you are partial in teaching God's word and you don't want to honor God in this way, then what happens? It says there in verse 8, you cause many to stumble, isn't it? You cause many to stumble. Because by not teaching the full truth, you will not turn people away from sin. Because you, you want to always tell people the nice things, tell people the good news. right? Go 90 FM from the pulpit. So uh, even today, this last week, a pastor friend of mine uh, told me that in the church that he's in, uh, there was a petition by the church members to remove him as a pastor. And what had happened was, all he had done was preach a passage of the Bible they were going through a sermon series, and he preached uh, faithfully from a passage where people were offended. So I think that in, those, in the area of teaching and leading, we must always have the right attitude. Everything must be taught to reverence and honor God for the glory of God, not ourselves. There must be good living, there must be good faithful messengers of God's word, and they must turn people from sin. So in conclusion, I want you to think for a moment. Imagine God is looking down from heaven right now. You don't need to imagine that. He is that. Okay? He's looking down in heaven right now. Okay? No need to imagine, because He is looking in heaven right now. And He's looking at us here at BTPC. 
And imagine him looking at us and the way we live our lives. We live our lives at church, how we live our lives outside of church. The way we sing his praises, the way we pray, the way we listen to the sermon. Uh, do we open, you know, does he see us opening our, uh, the Bible and, and, and looking at it and investigating and sincerely wanting to know what his word is saying or are we falling asleep? When he sees our lives, uh, does he see us treating his word with, with seriousness? Uh, does he see us praying? How does he see us treating other Christians? How does he see us treating our people in general? Does he, when he sees us, does he see um, respect, honor, fear? When he looks at us, does he say, yes, you know, those are people who honor and respect and fear me? Or does he think to himself, oh, you know, if only someone would just do me a favor and close the door to BTPC and put a big sign out there and say, no services to further notice. Because that was happening there, isn't it? Because the people did not honor, respect and fear him. It was detestable to him. It was unpleasant to him. It was not pleasing to him. So the same way, I think, the book of Malachi tells us that God is still the same today. He is still the Lord Almighty. So in our lives, let us not live in a light, careless and contemptuous way towards God. But let us really give Him honor, respect and fear in the way that we live, in everything that we do. Okay, let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, uh, we really pray that... uh, we will take with utmost seriousness the warnings that you gave to the priests in the book of Malachi that uh, the threat of curse is real. The threat of verse 3 where uh, you wanted to spread on their faces the, the dung, the offal of their offerings was real. That truly uh, people who do not, who claim to be your people but do not honor and fear and respect you are not pleasing to you. And uh, dear Father, help us not go through the motions. Help us to really give you our best of our time and our effort uh, to take the things of of God seriously and to really thank God, thank you dear Father, that you sent us Jesus as our perfect high priest and our perfect sacrifice. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.